Well, good morning, BRBC. Um, man, what a wonderful morning of worship we've had so far. And uh, I'm excited to, to share with you this morning. Uh, you know, the, uh, during this Advent season, we've been studying four names that the prophet Isaiah used to share with his people what the long-awaited Messiah was going to be like. Um, this is found in Isaiah 9, 6, where, where it says, to us, a child will be born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We've looked at Jesus as the Wonderful Counselor. Last week, we looked at Jesus as Mighty God, and this morning, we're going to see how Jesus fulfills the name of Everlasting Father. Now, you may be thinking, Everlasting Father I thought Jesus was the son, not the father. Well, that was my thoughts exactly. Uh, as I began to research this name for Jesus, I came across sermons and writings from pastors far more practiced than me that recognized the difficulty uh, in understanding what Isaiah meant uh, by this name, Everlasting Father. I even read a, a sermon by Spurgeon who at the very beginning of his, uh, of his sermon, he, he said, look, I put this, talking about this, I put this off for a long time because of how challenging it was. The challenge comes because Isaiah says, uh, it, it, he, he calls, he refers to Jesus as a son, and then almost immediately tells us that he, he will be called everlasting father. So I just want to say thanks a lot whoever decided I would be the one that would preach on this this morning. Uh, uh, but there is hope because it doesn't rely on me. We know that God reveals himself through scripture. And so to gain a little bit of clarity on this this morning, we're going to be in the book of Revelation chapter 21. You heard me correctly. We will be in Revelation. And you may be thinking we're going to gain clarity from Revelation Yes, that's our hope this morning. It has a lot of great things to connect us with, with, with Isaiah's title for Jesus as Everlasting Father. Um, but before we jump into this, this passage this morning, I want to give a, a brief overview uh, for the book of Revelation so we can kind of understand where we're going to be in chapter 21. The, this book was given to the Apostle John, um, and really to, to gain understanding for the book that we can find a really important phrase at the, in the very first verse of the very first chapter where it says, this is uh, a revelation from Jesus Christ. That's what the book's about. It's about Jesus. It tells us about who Jesus is. John is, is sharing with us the, the, uh, about, um, God's, or about Jesus' glory through, uh, through this book. And so this is how it will help us to understand um, understand. And, and this passage from Revelation that, that, that uh, we're going to read, we can gain some clarity into what Isaiah meant when he calls Jesus everlasting father. So grab your copy of God's word. If you'll open it to Revelation 21, verse 6 and 7, and uh, listen as I read. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, 
and they will be my children. Now, most of, most of us, or you've either had this happen in your family, or maybe you've heard about this, uh, when a, like a child gets separated from their family in the grocery store or uh, at uh, the mall or something like that, uh, what, is the, what is the child's first response when they realize, I can't find my parents? What do you think? Yeah, they're crying. They're panicking, right? They're, there's panic, and, and they're frantically looking for their parents. But when they find their parents, what a sense of relief that they have because they find security and comfort. Um, that they, they, provide, they, they see protection and provision in their parents, and the, their, their parent reaches down and says, just take my hand. It's going to be okay. Well, let me tell you this. We have the everlasting Father in Jesus that is always there to say, take my hand. I'm there to provide for you and to care for you and to take care of you. And that is what we're going to talk about this morning, the everlasting Father, Jesus. Um, so, uh, how can this passage in Revelation uh, teach us about this? Well, it gives us a description of these two characteristics, these two words that Isaiah uses to describe Jesus, everlasting and Father. And the first one is, Jesus is everlasting. Jesus is everlasting. We see two things that describe uh, Jesus here that, that give us some real insight into Jesus as everlasting. And it's Alpha and Omega and the beginning and the end. Now, these two things are, are fairly similar. Uh, beginning and end, we understand that. It's the, the start of something, the end of something. Alpha and Omega, those are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And this is a pretty common thing uh, that was used to, to describe the wholeness of something in, in that day. Uh, from, from the beginning to the end, the wholeness of something. Um, in fact, it wasn't just common uh, back then. There's, there's a, a small company based out of Seattle, Washington, that um, subtly uses the first and the last letters of our alphabet um, in a pretty significant way in their logo. Does anybody recognize this company right here? Okay. It's not such a small company, right? Everybody knows Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon. Uh, with a quick show of hands... How many of you have ever ordered anything from Amazon? Yeah. Now, let me ask this. Keep them raised. How about in the last month? Okay. You can put them down if you haven't uh, ordered anything from Amazon in the last week. Yeah, there's still a lot of hands raised. Okay. Now, be honest on this one. Since I've been talking, how many of you all have ordered anything from Amazon? Yeah? You... you <laughs> You never know, right? Thank you for paying attention or maybe just making me feel good. I don't know. But uh, Amazon is huge. Everybody knows Amazon. Everybody recognizes this logo. And it, I want you to, to look at this. If you, if you see this little, uh, uh, this little arrow that goes from the A to the Z, that wasn't on accident. Um, their, their marketing department decided they would do this because what it represents is they want to, uh, to provide the, the widest availability of products that they can. And they're pretty close. <laughs> I mean, they, they want to make it easy for anyone to get just about anything they want from their website. 
Uh, and I, I mean, I, very few times do I search on Amazon for something that I can't find it, and usually cheaper than anywhere else. So the, it's successful, and, and this, this represents their desire to encompass a lot of things, to encompass wholeness, to encompass everything. And this is what verse 6 is telling us about Jesus. He is all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus always was. Uh, we see this word Alpha and beginning. Last week, Amy talked about the, the mighty nature of Jesus. She reminded us that, that Jesus' story didn't begin, uh, didn't begin in the manger. And similarly, this morning, uh, we have to understand that while this time of year we celebrate the physical birth of Jesus, we know from passages like John 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Or in passages like Colossians 1, 17, where it says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus isn't just the alpha and the, and the beginning. He, or Jesus isn't, uh, uh, isn't just uh, uh, born in this, in this manger at this time. It didn't simply start then or, or, or begin on one starry night in Bethlehem, but he existed before the world began. And in the beginning, he was right there in the middle of the creation story. Jesus always has been. He's the alpha and the beginning. Guess what? Jesus still is. That Colossians 1, 17 verse says, in him all things hold together. Christ is continuing to sustain his creation. He's preventing it from falling into chaos, from, from the, the vastness of the universe to the smallest details of our lives. He is the unifying force. But guess what? There's, there's a, a, another truth that we find from this. Jesus always will be. We see this image of Jesus' uh, everlasting nature. It comes full circle when he says, I will be the omega and the end. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He, he is the beginning and the end. He's the one who possesses eternity and holds it all together. Now, uh, a, a couple weeks ago, I uh, went to watch a few of our uh, students, and quite a few of them actually, in the Nutcracker Ballet at the Irving Arts Center. Um, and I know, I know some of y'all uh, went also to support them. Man, they did an amazing job. Uh, they, it was phenomenal and something I could never do. So, they, yeah, they, are, uh, they were amazing. But as I was watching this, uh, this ballet, I began to realize there's a lot of moving parts in a, in a ballet. Like, it's, it's crazy. There, people are on and off the stage and running around, changing props, changing costumes. All of this stuff is going on. Um, and before the show started, I was flipping through the program, and I, and I saw the page of all the directors. And as I realized, man, there's a lot going on, uh, I also realized, man, it's really important to have a good director for all of this stuff. Because uh, not only are there the, the things going on on the stage right then, but, but that person, that director, they, 
they, they have to, to make sure that, that uh, the choreography is learned. They're, they're teaching that. They're, they're doing auditions. They're placing dancers in the, in the role that they're in. They're coming up with the, the vision for the, for the whole ballet. They know every part of it, every little detail of it, before the show even starts. And then, during the show, they're there to make sure that uh, all the, uh, all the uh, prop changes and costume changes happen on cue, that, that the dance happens when they're supposed to, that, that all of the acts are completed from beginning to end. Church, our life is such a small part of eternity. But Jesus was there before it started and will be there till the end. We have a father in heaven, an earthly, uh, 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 an everlasting father in Jesus, the one who choreographed the universe and the one who keeps it together, keeps it out of utter chaos. Well, why do we, why do we care about that? Why does it matter to us that we have an everlasting father? Well, as you think about the character characteristics of Jesus, you have to notice that each be unchanging. And only because he is unchanging can we have confidence that Jesus has been, is, and always will be who he says he is. Uh, uh, think about the consequences if his uh, everlasting nature wasn't true. We couldn't have confidence that he would exist tomorrow, uh, let alone be the same as he is today. This partnership between his everlasting nature and his unchanging nature allows us to confidently hold to God's declaration when he says in Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Because he is everlasting, he gives us strength. Because he is everlasting, he gives us encouragement. Because of Jesus, we have hope for both this life and for eternity. Church, God is enough for you. In, in, in your pain, in your suffering, in your challenge, Jesus is enough. There is no one like Jesus, for he says, I am God and there is no other like me. What a bold comment to make. What a bold statement. And who else can declare that but the one that says, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Only the everlasting living Savior. Only one who can claim that. Because it's true. Because he is. And the truth of his everlasting nature is what makes uh, uh, his fatherly characteristic even more powerful and beautiful. But here's where our challenge lies, challenge I talked about at the beginning. Here, here's where it, it comes because um, uh, it's in the understanding of, of, Jesus, or of, of Isaiah's description of Jesus as everlasting Father. Now, we're not going to dive deep into theology of the Trinity, so don't worry. We're, we're going to stay uh, at the surface here. But I do want us to recognize something before we move forward. Isaiah is clearly calling the Messiah everlasting Father. 
Um, we have to acknowledge that, that there's a cloud of mystery that surrounds um, this name for Jesus. But here's what we do know. We do know that there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and each is distinct and equally God at the same time. So, there's our challenge. If Jesus is the Son, he cannot be the Father. So why did Isaiah call Jesus everlasting Father? Well, it's very unlikely that Isaiah had the Trinity in mind at all when he said this. One commentator says about Isaiah's description of Jesus, it's not the Messiah's role within the Godhead, but, Messiah, but the Messiah's character toward us that Isaiah had in mind. It's a description of Christ's character. He is fatherly. He's father-like in his treatment of us. In other words, Jesus is fatherly. Jesus reveals the Father to us. He reveals the, the Father's heart to us. He reveals how he, uh, his intentions for us, how he feels about us. We see evidence of this um, when Jesus says to Philip in, in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. Or when Paul describes Jesus in Colossians 1.15 as this way, the Son is the image of the invisible gods. Isaiah is simply saying that, is simply sharing that the coming Messiah would be fatherly in his character towards us. He would come to help us see the Father more clearly. And so what does our passage out of Revelation tell us about Jesus' fatherly character? Well, the first thing it says is to the thirsty... I will give water without cost. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost. If you like to backpack or hike, or maybe you've seen a survival show, you may understand or you may know that there are a group of rules that uh, help us to know, okay, what is it that we need to survive if we get lost in the woods or we get stuck out there somewhere? Anybody know the name of that rule? No? Survival rule of three. Anybody heard about that? Survival rule of three? It's three uh, minutes without air. It's three hours without shelter in an extreme environment. It's three days without water or three weeks without food. So now we know this isn't 100% accurate for everybody. There are people who can hold their breath for longer than three minutes. There, you know, if you go outside right now uh, for more than three hours, you're going to be okay. Um, but uh, what this is really telling us is the importance of each of these things for us to, to live, for us to survive. Um, we, we have to breathe. We have to eat. We have to have shelter if it's uh, extremely hot or extremely cold outside. We also need water. We have to have water uh, to live a healthy life uh, and to survive. It's an absolute necessity for us. When I think of things that we need or I need, I often think about uh, a conversation that I had probably more frequently than I should have with my dad about, um, I would say something like, dad, I really need blank. Dad, I really need this new pair of basketball shoes. Uh, and my dad's response all every time, not just sometimes, every time, would be, um, I don't think, he would say, there's a difference between a need and a want. And I think you really just want those basketball shoes, right? And that was true. I mean, I didn't really need them. I had shoes and I was, you know, I had basketball shoes, but 
I didn't really need them. But what he was uh, really trying to help me understand was that sometimes we see things that we perceive uh, as an immediate and necessary thing in our lives. But in, in reality, it's just something that we think is best for us in that moment. And let me ask you this. How often do we get that confused in our, in our own lives? How often do we, do we look at a situ, the, the difficult situation surrounding us, the, the, the relationship that, that's difficult, the job that we lost, and we try to take things in our own hands without seeking the throne of Jesus and asking for his provision and direction in our life? For me, often. And what our passage is teaching us about Jesus' fatherly nature in these moments is it's saying, in our need, he gives us what we need most. To the thirsty, he gives water without cost. It doesn't say, to the thirsty, he gives saltine crackers. Or to the thirsty, he gives you whatever drink you want. Or to the thirsty, he gives you whatever you want. He says, to the thirsty, I give water. Water is the only real solution to the need of thirst. We have a lot of needs in our life. We've talked about a few of those already. We have hurting relationships, broken families, sick loved ones, lost jobs, financial difficulty. But oftentimes we try to take those things into our own hands and we find, instead of finding comfort in the things that Jesus provides for us, hope in hopeless times, comfort in challenging situations, peace in the midst of difficult relationships, wisdom when a challenging decision needs to be made. That's what Jesus provides us. It's far better than what we can grasp and grab on our own. And here's the beautiful thing about that. He says he provides it without cost. It costs us nothing. Um, uh, Think about it this way. Does a dad ask their child to repay them for the dinner that they just uh, provided for them? No. The dad sees the need uh, for the nourishment of the food for their, for their child's body. They provide, the dad provides the need, provides the food, and asks for nothing in return. Other than, you know, chores or something like that. But, but, but you get my point is, is that what Jesus says is that he has what we need most, and it's himself. He has what, what we need most, and it's himself. Out of Jesus' fatherly love for us, he says in John seven thirty, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Here's what it comes down to, is that we have a sin problem in our life. As John reminded us um, a, a couple weeks ago, all of us know that we don't measure up um, to, to, the, to how we ought to be. All of us know deep down that we've done things, seen things, said things, uh, approached, approached life in a way that we know uh, we shouldn't have. And we carry around that guilt and that shame. But again, Jesus says, I have what you need. It's me. He's the complete and final solution to the sin in our life, to our biggest uh, need. Jesus cares that much for each of us. He cares that much for you that he would give you what you need before he's going to give you what you want. 
And isn't that what a father is supposed to do for their children? And this brings us to our final section of our passage today. It's that Jesus says, to those who are thirsty, I will give water without cost, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Jesus says, to the thirsty, I will give what they need. To those who recognize their, their need for him and go to him and allow him to share his fatherly heart with them, they will be his children. This is a relationship, and that's what Jesus wants with you. He wants a, a deep, intimate, personal relationship with you. The same Jesus that is everlasting without beginning or end, the same Jesus, Jesus that's the possessor of eternity, the creator of the whole world, that same Jesus has a fatherly affection uh, and, and a great tenderness and compassion towards you. He wants a relationship with each and every one of us. He loves you. Let me say that again. He loves you. You're beloved by an everlasting Jesus, loved with an everlasting love that will never, ever change, shift, or fade. Now, I do want to recognize that not everyone in the room has the same thoughts on uh, the fatherly relationships in their own lives. Sadly, the word father doesn't always bring to mind someone who's loving and caring and kind and gracious. Um, instead, it's a reminder of a distant, um, absent, selfish, uncaring person. And if that's you, I want to first say, I am so sorry that that has been your experience. But I also want to share with you that there is still hope to be found because that is nothing like the fatherly heart of Jesus. Nothing like the fatherly heart of Jesus. He desires to bring hope and grace and peace and loving kindness into your life. He's approachable, he's caring, he's compassionate. He wants a relationship with you. Others of you may be sitting uh, out there this morning and, and you may be thinking, if Jesus really knew me, if Jesus really knew what was going on in my life, he would never want a relationship with me. Well, let me tell you this. He does know you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And, and, and he does and always will want a relationship with you. None of that matters. He wants you. Listen, life gets really messy. Let me say it this way. My life gets messy. I have lived and will live in a way that is undeserving of a relationship with Jesus. But guess what? He still wants me and calls me his. You know why? Because he is my everlasting father. He is my everlasting father. We see examples of this all throughout scripture too, uh, of his heart for people. The story of the, of the widow that's mourning their, their, uh, her, her lost, her, her dead son. And it says that Jesus has compassion for her. He sees people that no one else sees. Zacchaeus, the, the, the lady that touches his cloak, right? He, he heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He cries with his friends. 
We, we see Jesus, the everlasting Father, before all creation. We see him, the very picture of vulnerability laid in the manger in Bethlehem. We see him preaching with full compassion for, for crowds of people. We see him bearing his cross on the streets of Jerusalem as people spit on him and mock him. We see him nailed to the tree, and we see him praying for, for, for the, the people who are murdering him. And we see him raised on the third day and it descended to glory. Jesus' story says that the everlasting Father's heart beats for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He, 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 he did all of this because he wants to call you his. He wants, to, he wants to show you the Father, but more than that, he wants to bring you into his family and call you his child. That is Jesus, the everlasting Father. My question this morning is, do you know him because he wants you? He wants you. He loves you. Jesus, the everlasting father, the one who is before all things and the one who holds all things together, uh, that same Jesus is not a distant God. He is intimately involved in the details of your life and he wants a personal relationship with you. So let me ask you this morning, what would it look like? What would it be like for you to live into this truth that Jesus is your everlasting father? Maybe you would have a healthier view of who you are because of how Jesus sees you. Maybe you would look at other people, love other people, treat other people differently because he calls them his. Maybe you would be able to finally forgive that person in your life because you recognize you have been forgiven by the everlasting Father. May this truth deepen your faith. May it, may it provide you with hope and may it prompt you to worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled to recognize that the creator of the universe would love us enough to humble himself and die on a cross for us. Father, we, we, we know um, that you want us. Father, we ask that, that you would um, encourage and challenge our hearts to live into the truth that you are our everlasting father. You created the universe and still are approachable, caring, loving, and kind. Father, I pray that if there are people in this, in this room this morning that they have a, a challenging relationship with their earthly father, that they would see uh, that you um, love them and care about them and want what is best for them. And you want them. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's perfect, precious, and holy name that we pray. Amen.